HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm Will Harris, and today's program has been brought to you by White Oak Pastures. Boys, I'm mellow as a honeydew. Yeah, that cat is high. Look that look in his eye. Oh, man, he's high. Yes, higher than a kite. Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm your host, Damon Bolte. I don't know if you're feeling the same way that I'm feeling right now, but this whole last week has been the Manhattan Cocktail Classic, and it's definitely showing on the faces of a lot of bartenders, brand ambassadors, spirits, industry people, and i got to say, now this has been about... Uh, I guess it's been about three years in the making, uh, or rather, three years running now. Um, and what a crazy, crazy thing to do. I mean, we've we've had, well, coming up this year is uh, Tales of the Cocktail. It's 10th year, actually, which is quite a feat. And it's actually a pretty cool thing for us to be able to have such an amazing platform to speak about the industry that we love so much and about not only, you know, obviously there are a lot of like brands uh, that are sponsoring and God bless them, you know, for doing this and being supportive of the whole industry. Um, Also along with the, the different speakers and great minds that come in and give seminars and just enrich our whole industry and to see this happening in Manhattan, you know, obviously Tales of the Cocktail being held every year in New Orleans. To have it happen in Manhattan, you know, the birthplace, really, in my opinion, of, of classic cocktails, is such an kind of like a no-brainer. And so this, this year at the uh, Manhattan Cocktail Classic, some of the things that we saw were just outrageous feats of some of the most influential bartenders and and thinkers in the industry we had so many things going on like cocktail competitions last week we had uh ivy mix claire burton lang and uh and lynette marrero on talking about speed rack which is an amazing competition and it was quite quite an amazing thing to do to have 
just so many talented ladies in the industry coming on and competing and just rocking it out. And then with uh, another competition, uh, Rematch Biatch, which is the uh, international Rematch Biatch, uh, Steve Schneider, man, what a fucking beast. 81 seconds. 81 seconds to make, what, 10 drinks? Yeah. And speaking of rocking it out, <laughs> we got Rocky Ye from Seattle. We I, don't really talk about Seattle much in the, on this show. Why not? <laughs> well, because you haven't been on yet. Uh, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> Rocky just walked into the studio, and I'm uh, very glad to have him here. He's uh, someone who I met about... I, what two years ago or so? Yeah, I, two two and a half years ago. It was about the. Uh, it was the time that the uh, Frankie's Cookbook came out. They were on tour, and uh, you met them during that. Yeah, and we uh, talked a little bit about it last night. Yeah, <laughs> they came to Seattle, and by sheer cosmic coincidence, my travel schedule meshed up with theirs perfectly for the whole week, going down the West Coast. It was. It was, I, I don't know if it was a match made in heaven or a match made in, like, you know, my liver's hell. <laughs> but it, it was it was fantastic, you know, just meeting those guys and being hang out with them. Absolutely. Well, they're they're fun guys to be around. And uh, we won't go into too much detail about, <laughs> about, <laughs> about those guys. They should have a show of their own. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was just... Uh, Thank you for coming in. A little, little late, but that's sorry. Great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, getting out of Midtown was hellish. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I've heard many accounts from just like the last thirty minutes about uh, traffic and whatnot. But I'm glad that you you made it. Thank you for having me. Yeah, totally. So, Rocky, how did you enjoy the MCC? MCC was great as always. You know, uh, definitely glad that last night was the last night of, yeah, absolutely. of, I think, of it all. I think a lot of people are right there in the same thought yeah. process with you. Yeah. Um, I, the anti-gala, which was last night, right? where we, we last hung out, um, which I'm glad we've gotten to hang out a lot this last week. Me too. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was, uh, I was like, man, should I go to this? Probably not, but I have to. I have to. <laughs> it's, it's always one of those things where you're like, oh, one more. Okay, I could do this. I could do this. Especially since... Tobin always puts on such a great party. And so Tobin Ellis, you know, obviously he, you know, put it together this time around. And every time he and his crew get together and they put on an event, you know, you're guaranteed to have a good time. You're, you're guaranteed to probably wake up with a, with a headache. Yeah. I, I think my last, uh, my last image of him from the night was, I think, was he standing on top of a car with a bullhorn? Uh, it just seemed that way, <laughs> you know. But he, he's definitely being very passionate about what he was saying at that point. Yeah, he was. He he, he had a, a like a lizard king moment there. I think. <laughs> oh, totally. <laughs> Rocky, tell us about what you do, man. Uh, so you know, I am portfolio ambassador for Proof ABV. Uh, you know, we are in the business of helping smaller brands grow and develop. And then I'm also a spirits portfolio ambassador for American Northwest Spirits up in Washington, Washington State, not D.C., uh, since I've been told that while I've been out here that I actually need to make that distinction. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, so we're a smaller distributor. Uh, we do wine, beer, and spirits. 
and we're making the transition from uh, being a control state over to now a private market. And it's definitely been very interesting and very much uh, – there are challenges. There have definitely been challenges. It's, it's, it's kind of one of those be careful what you wish for moments. Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, now that the state – is out, you know, is obviously no longer control, and we control control our own destiny now. It's like great, awesome. Oh wait, all the screw ups are mine. <laughs> you know, I can't say, uh, yeah, the state did that one. You know, and before that was, you know, it's like, it's like, why can't I get this? Uh, the state forgot to order it. Now it's like, why can't I get this? I forgot to order it. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the challenges of that. I mean, like with, especially for listeners that don't that don't know about it. Like right. there, there are certain states that are state the the liquor is actually state controlled, so they're in charge of ordering different spirits, and and you have to go through certain channels to actually actually you have to go to certain places to even get it. Correct. Specifically, like for even even for bars, you know, like where where we can here in New York State, you know, we can order from distributors, and we do. Right. Um, it's we got especially in New York we're kind of spoiled because we we get like everything. You, you not only get everything, you get everything first. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, even while it, you get some things while it's still just like a twinkle in someone's eye. Sometimes I swear, yeah. and, and she's like, I "Go, oh man, that's just all right." You know, so usually we fire up, you know, you know, some store here, you know, whether like we'll go to Astor, we'll go to Drink Up New York, and be like, okay. How do we get our hands on some so we can at least we can try a little bit before, you know, yeah. b- before. I mean, otherwise it'll take oftentimes it just takes forever to get used to get forever to get out there to us. And now, you know, hopefully a lot of that will change now, too, as well, as we get away from being a control state. So for us in Washington, the way it was, was there was only 167 state run stores and then uh about an equal number of private contract stores that were under contract to the state, but functioning within the state system. And so the state was the sole purchaser of all spirits. So anything, anytime you wanted anything that wasn't, you know, just a regular, regularly listed item, you know, that, that you would just really expect to have in any liquor store, like, you know, every, every liquor store, every bar, you know, is going to have, you know, like, you know, Jim Beam or Jack Daniels, you know, Smirnoff, whatever, like things like that. It's like, yes, that's easy to get, you know, and but then anything even remotely esoteric. I mean, and sometimes when I say esoteric, I don't really mean anything that that much, you know, out of the blue. It's like uh, last year we ran out of Aperol for three months in the, for the whole oh, wow. state of Washington, you know, and it was just. The purchasers there, it was not a regularly listed item, and, but it was something that they did they did know to bring in, you know, theoretically, um, a decent amount of, but they kind of looked at their purchasing as an entire yearly cycle instead of, hey, in the summer, people drink more Aperol. And so we ran out sure. for three months, like in the middle of the summer when people are drinking more Aperol. Yeah, exactly. You know? Aperol spritzes, whatnot. I mean, like, but isn't that... Kind of a testament to what's going on with the like, like the bar scene, the cocktail movement. I mean, like you, you know, uh, four years ago, like Absolutely. Rittenhouse was in huge abundance on the shelves, right? 
and no one knew who like what it was. Exactly. Now you have to hoard it. Yeah, exactly. You know, everyone knows. Oh, okay. As soon as it come, as soon as the next release of Written House is out, it's like I need to go buy ten cases. Exactly. Stash it away because when it runs out, and it's going to run out in a couple months, then I'll actually have a little bit set aside. You know. Yeah. Um, and same thing with. The Angostura uh, drought. Right. Uh, as soon as that happened, I ran out to every Safeway. Because I was like, where will everyone not think to go? Oh, the grocery store. Exactly. I, so I went and cleaned out every Safeway in like a 10-mile radius of my house. I called and emailed people all over the United States. And I was like, hey, man, uh, can you do me a favor? Can you just go out and buy like all the Angostura bitters you can find and just ship it to me? Right. You and know, now I have... A, a ton shitload yeah <laughs> which is a great problem to have right you know i mean especially especially given you know our propensity now to actually have shots of angostura in the morning right. <laughs> i mean my god um and that again that's also something that you know it's like you know who knew that we would actually go back to using stomach bitters as stomach bitters instead of just flavoring and it's like i love that actually you yeah, know it's kind of like come full circle I, I, and especially on the creative side, which we're going to take a break. And when we get back, I want to talk about the challenges involved with with not only state-run liquor stores and that, that whole system, but also the creativity that comes out of it. And we'll be back in just a moment with Rocky. is a 146-year-old multi-generational family farm that works in cooperation with nature to produce artisan meat that is safe, healthy, nutritious, and good to eat. Without fail, we ensure that our production practices are economically practical, ecologically sustainable, and that the animals are always humanely treated. We never falter in our determination to conduct our business in an honorable manner. For more information, visit whiteoakpastures.com. And we're back. We're in the studio with Rocky, man. We've been talking about the, not only the MCC, but talking more specifically about uh, the Washington State, uh, state-run liquor stores, which right. is now changing over. Right. And, you know, there have always been, within that system... As long as you worked within the system, like, you know, you, you could eventually get everything that you wanted. It just took a while. And everyone came to know which stores were the ones to go to. Within Seattle proper itself, you know, it came down to a matter of four stores that everyone who was really serious about cocktails and spirits, like, 
we all went to those stores. And it got to the point, we didn't even call them by their names. We just like, by their number. Oh, yeah, Rittenhouse, there's a case at store 101, you know, or at store 46. And it's like, wow, you know, it, it, it just, and the, and the thing too is, is that for all that, you know, we might talk about like, oh, it's a government-run system, and, you know, so the employees there aren't necessarily going to care. You know, that wasn't necessarily true. Like, there were, at those self-same stores, like, there were, there were always, you know, staffers and managers who really cared and were really into it, and they were really on our side, you know, for for as much as they could fight be. Fight the good fight. Right, you know, helping us, you know, to go out and find, you know, it's like, I remember I spent like a year and a half trying to get rum Clement, you know, and rum jam into Washington state, like just begging Ben Jones. I was like, please, can I get some rum? You know? Yeah. I was like, I mean, cause I, I went to tails and just fell in love with rum, rum agricole. And, you know, and eventually, you know, with enough persistence, like, we got it. It was like, yay, it's on the shelf. Now we can, no, now we can drink it. And that was also one of the challenges, though. Uh, like, co- once I moved over to the sales, you know, and, and, and representation side was that it's like, okay, I have something. I finally got it into the state, you know, and I got one of the store managers to help me out, you know, to bring in a few cases, you know, to prime the pump. But then how do you get that word out to everyone? Yeah, how do you, know? you keep it around? Like, right. if, if it's not selling, then... They're not going to keep it around, right. so you got to get the word out, of course. I mean, because they have to justify, you know, what they're ordering back to the state. You know, sure. they can't just go nuts and say, "Yeah, you know, I'll take forty cases of Pappy." It might, well, I mean, if you could take, Dude, get 40. I would take forty <laughs> cases right. of Pappy if I could get it. You're right. Bad example, <laughs> but uh, like uh, Grand Classico, right? Exactly. You know, I, I love Grand Classico, but. But how not much everyone knows? Yeah, how, exactly. how much are you going to sell? You know, you know how, how fast are you going to go through it? it, it so, it, it it always became this like fine balancing act and this challenge of like, okay, you know, the the definitely the the term like dancing with a grizzly bear, you know, yeah. comes to mind. It's like, yeah, here's this big thing, and if you maneuver it right and you play with its rules, you know, it dances with you. You know, it won't kill you or anything. But if you make it mad, you know, just quick swipe to the head and you're and you're dead yeah and um there were de- there were definitely days that when we just sit there and be like oh come on for the love of god please all i'm asking for is one case you know please bring in one case and and it was never again it was never like the store manager it's like it was dealing with you know this bureaucracy that was just looking at it from a pure number standpoint yeah you know um so as we transitioned away from that and Honestly, the hardest part of this transition has been the incredibly short timeline. Like, we, we're literally taking a $1.2 billion industry, you know, just in the state of Washington, and transitioning from control to private liquor in six months. Like, wow. I, I can't even, you know, I'm just impressed that we haven't torn out all our hair. Actually, I'm impressed that I'm here and not there yeah. tearing out my hair. <laughs> totally. But, um, well, I mean, speaking of the challenges of that, like, I, like, as far as like, like a bartender standpoint, like, mm-hmm. I, I remember reading uh, an article in Imbibe or might have been like Bon Appetit or one of, um, about these bartenders 
or it was basically like recipes from bartenders in, in not only control states but states in like the Midwest, in like in you know Gary, Indiana, or you know Madison, Wisconsin, like wherever, and they couldn't get a hold of like, for instance, like House Alpin's products, like right. come to Violette or you know whatever, and so they would end up making their own stuff. And did you feel like like that was like something that was happening in in Seattle in Washington state? You know? Uh it happened to a certain extent, but what also happened was there was a, there was a lot of hey, who's going to New York, LA, San Francisco? You'll pick up a bottle. Pick up a bottle please, you know, <laughs> totally. bring it back in your luggage. Exactly. You know, I mean a lot of that went on. Yeah, we're not going to get Havana Club anytime soon, but exactly. <laughs> anytime we travel. Exactly, but you know, yeah. for us it's easy being, you know, close to the Canadian border. We just sure. run up to Vancouver and like Yay, Havana Club, you know, and and so that so some things sometimes worked out in our favor. We're like, hey, cool, I can get up my hands on as much Havana Club as I want because the guys from Vancouver, the bartenders in Vancouver, actually have an even harder time of it than we did in Washington. So British Columbia, you know, most of Canada's control. Mm-hmm. British Columbia, which is you know being immediately north of us, has an even harder system to get you know, the specialty spirits and any ingredients that you might want. So those guys get really creative about making things, you know, like the, everything people talk about, about like chef driven drinks or market driven drinks. It's like to, to a large extent in Vancouver, it was it, it didn't happen because like, Oh, Hey, we have access to all these ingredients. We should make drinks of them. It was out of necessity. Right. It's like, yeah. Holy crap. How do I, you know, get close to replicating that flavor you know it's like a 12 bottle bar right that whole idea it's like making something interesting out of like the most stripped down what that's 12 bottles is you still you can do so much man. oh absolutely but i mean like making something creative and new and inspired right out of like a very minimal uh, selection of ingredients Mm -hmm. And and that whole thing of like you know making ingredients and trying to replicate look you know different liqueurs or different bitters or, or things like that kind of and also with like everyone kind of kind of going a little crazy for a little while with like oh we make everything in house yeah you know it's like really why it's like <laughs> please you know there's it, it gets to the point it's just like. I, and I, I talk about this all the time. It's like, it's, it's just time management. It's like, how much time do you have? Or how much money do you have to pay someone on staff to make this for you? And is it honestly actually better than what you can buy commercially now? Yeah. You know? You're not going to reinvent chartreuse. God, no. <laughs> I, I see people try. Oh, yeah. You know? It's th- a fun project. Right. But also, it goes back to time management. I'm like, really? Is it, is it worth it? Exactly. When when this person has perfected this this whole system in in production, yeah, yeah, you know, and and especially, you know, when it comes to things like certain syrups, you know, it's like why are you making your own orgeat? Like, I, I mean, well, that's yeah. one. It's like some people. A friend of like, mine makes orgeat. Right. It's totally killer. Right, and but. I have to say that's kind of the exception. You know, it's like I will say that nine out of ten times, if you make something like Orjat on your own, like there, you, you're not necessarily making something better or more consistent. Because that's the other thing, thing too. It's like consistency is hard. Oh, absolutely. You know, and so okay, are you as consistent, and do you keep up that same level of quality? Sure, sure. I mean, like, but even like one of my favorite. 
drinks of all time, Fernet Branca, is inconsistent. Right. Sometimes you get a really hot bottle. Sometimes it's like super minty. I mean, mm-hmm. like, and that also, I, I you know, it, it, like as a bartender, it's like you should always like, you should constantly be revisiting your classics. You should taste all of your drinks just to right. make sure that they're like on, you know. Mm-hmm. And if you make a hell, even like a dark and stormy, right? You know, taste the ginger beer, like taste the lime, like you know, taste everything. You right. should taste everything. This is the only way you keep evolving and and progressing through this craft you know right no absolutely and you know i think it is important to kind of make everything once yourself yeah you know so like okay now i have an appreciation for it now i know what the process is and it because knowing i think knowing the process really helps you know what's going to happen when you put it into a drink Mm-hmm. You know, and then after that, then decide for yourself, like, do I need to keep making this? You know, am I actually doing a better job? Like, I, you know, it's like, I will tell you right now, I'm never going to make my own Falernum again because <laughs> mine's okay, but eh, mine's you know. okay too. But yeah, I, I'd probably rather go with Johnny Taylor's. Right. You know, that or like, you know, like Blair Reynolds. I mean, he make for me, it's easy to get because yeah. he's three hours down the highway. Right. <laughs> you know, um, it, so, yeah, I mean, definitely these things, you know, or like when everyone started making, you know, 18,000 bitters, like, cool. I, I think it's very important to learn that process because part of that process teaches you about like flavor extraction. Absolutely. You know, and, and you know, what that's going to do and the balance of how you, you, you have all these super intense flavors and how, and how they're going to come together. How you can handle them. Right. You know. Just like when you have a thousand screaming patrons at your bar and mm-hmm. <laughs> are you going to handle all these things all exactly totally um but yeah like finding the harmony and like especially with like we're saying with with homemade ingredients and even like with for like heavily produced ingredients with mm-hmm. the inconsistencies that you'll find from time to time yeah it's it's all about finding harmony and like and, yeah, and that's like keeping you on your toes you oh know? no for sure and you know, that's part of the fun of it, too. It's like, you know, we, we like tasting. We like sampling, you know, so. I've great. been doing it this entire show. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, you know what? I finally got to the point where I'm like, you know what? I think it might be time for a shot. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, on that note, we're at the end of the show. Thank you for having me. This absolutely, man. Fun. Thank you so much. And next time you're in town, man, please come back on the show. I'd love to. Love talking to you. You too. It's always a pleasure to see you. Rocky. I'm going to make it out to Seattle soon. I'm going to come see you. God, I hope so. And then we'll take you on what we lovingly call a life march. That sounds nicer than it probably is. <laughs> Thank you so much. This has been the Speakeasy. I'm Damon Bolte. We got Rocky Ed in the studio, and we will see you next week. Cheers. Oh, man, he's high. Yes, Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. Yes, he's high.